There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code wondery for twenty percent off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number six sixteen. Uh, I hope you guys are going to have a nice holiday season. I hope you have a wonderful, whatever it is that you're celebrating. If you're celebrating just the fact that you don't have to work, or if you do have to work... That's the best thing to celebrate. Is not having to work? Yeah. <laughs> just not wearing pants, sitting in your house. It's the best. You barely wear pants to come in here. I started wearing pants a good long time ago, sir. Yes, we've trained him and put pants on him. You're like the water skiing squirrel. I thought that would get Jonah Ray's uh, condescending looks to stop. I was wrong, but I like the pants. <laughs> it anyways. only increased their intensity. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, this uh, this episode is is Joe Perry uh, from uh, the, from Aerosmith, and he just released a four song EP, Joe Perry's Christmas, and also has his memoir, Rocks My Life In and Out of Aerosmith. And so uh, we literally just recorded Joe and. Uh, and what did you say? Okay, so I'm walking him to the parking lot, and they're like, oh, who are you guys interviewing next? I'm like, oh, we're going and interviewing Paul McCartney. And he's like, oh, fun fact, I just recorded with Paul McCartney. Yeah, it was me and Alice Cooper and Johnny Depp. What? <laughs> and we're recording a Badfinger song that Paul McCartney wrote back in when Badfinger's first album was coming out, when they were banned on Apple Records that he wrote because they needed a hit. Oh my <laughs> and, god! And Paul had written and recorded all the parts, gave Badfinger the demo. They recorded it. It did become a hit because that's what Paul McCartney does. Yeah. And then uh, he'd never touched it again. And then was like, you know what? I need to do is get Alice Cooper, Joe Perry, and Johnny Depp to come and help me re-record it like thirty years later. Oh my god! Well, see, I didn't want to bring up, you know, I didn't want to bring up that McCartney was going to be the next guest because you don't know what people's relationships are and I'd also turns out real good it turns out real good but I also I also didn't want to be like well our next guest is Paul McCartney you know I didn't want to be well, that I like that the Paul one will be out after all or before all of these yeah. so there's just going to be this weird run of everyone going are we going to talk to Paul how are we going to go <laughs> I know because well, I'm going to guys it went fine because now I'll ask him about that so basically oh, go. these will be time shifted we got dirt yeah if you listen to them actually in order then oh, they're, actually, like a, they're actually the reversed. way they come out it's like a William Burr thing like we've just cut up and put the podcast in different order that's right so you the viewer will have to decide what mm. the real time stream is it's nerdist podcast number <laughs> 616 with joe perry now entering nerdist.com Are you? I'm good. Are you? Are you winding down for the holidays, or is this a busier time of year for you? It's. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a multi-layered question. We're kind of uh, as the the book tour ended. We figured, you know, we're gonna 
go to Florida, maybe even have Christmas there, mm-hmm. you know, get her, have all, all the kids fly down. And then uh, the book came in at, uh, at you know, in the, in the, on, the, on the charts pretty high, and which blew our minds. And uh, so a whole bunch more, uh, you know, opportunities to do more podcasts and things, uh, you know. So we ended up staying out here. And I was planning on doing some uh, uh, solo solo stuff, work on my solo stuff out here. And uh, just to fill in the time, you know, between whatever. And, yeah. and, uh, and I figured, well... Why not do some Christmas songs? I mean, we haven't done, we haven't done it. You know, I've always wanted to do some kind of Christmas record with with the you know Aerosmith, and uh, we just never. It was on one of those short lists, you know, like a blues record, cover a rock and roll record, do whatever, and uh, um, it, it just never happened. So I just said, well, let's let's just shift gears and jump in the studio and see what comes out, and. Uh, and uh, fortunately, because it's near the holidays, a lot of the, the, the local guys that we know that are, are great players, you know, like the, the horn players and stuff, uh, were available. And they, they, we were able to fit in a few hours every day. And uh, uh, so we put, put this EP together. And, uh, and actually, it worked out for a couple of reasons. I mean, not only were we able to do the... Um, do the uh, the EP and and uh, hook it up with a a, uh, a charity to help um, bring music to the schools. I mean, mm-hmm. we're always trying to uh, to help out with that. But then uh, we uh, uh, um, they wanted to, uh, somebody said uh, I think VH1 said, "Can you do a uh, a video with it?" And uh, so we ended up doing a video for it. And, and, <laughs> And then, and so now we got uh, all uh, you know a bunch of stuff to do and uh, to wind that up. And uh, um, we had some business that that uh, um, showed up uh, that that we weren't expecting. So I ended up having to stay out here until uh, um, I think about the twentieth. Oh wow! Then we're going to split for for Vermont. Okay, and, then you have a couple yeah. days off. Then we'll have some some days off. <laughs> but you know, come on, is Christmas really off? You know what I mean? I mean, you run around shopping. Oh yeah, and all no. that stuff. It's, it's not just like, a different kind of. It, in, yeah, yeah. You can focus on that, and uh, it's really. Uh, I think that uh, like after after Christmas is done and uh, um, the holidays are over, we'll be able to uh, to chill out. You know. Well, it's, yeah, because it's like you, you have to shift out of work work into family work. Right. I mean, you do get that nice moment. Like, oh, it's Christmas. Now we're changing presents and we're all... Right. But everything around that is like, ah, I got to... Did I get... Oh, I forgot that guy. Oh, I got to right. do that. Oh, shit. It's, it's that, you know. <laughs> and so... Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's, it, like you said, it's, it's a whole different shift. And it kind of like breaks you in for relaxing. So it's you know and, does, and being in Vermont is is great and it's a whole different thing. You know? What does Aerosmith give each other for Christmas? Do you guys have a, like? Well, it's guys. We don't need anything else. No, no presents or is, like. Do you actually do? You, do you, what do you give each other? You know, usually, usually it's uh, birthday birthdays is when we do presents. But for um, it's been a long time. I mean, when the kids were small and we would all get together, you know, the, it, for, for, 
you know, we would have a party. You know, the, the, all all the families would get together and uh, everybody would uh, you know do presents and all that stuff. But since since everybody's kind of split and uh, you know gone gone their own way with their own lives, um, it's pretty much you know. Merry Christmas, you know, Happy New Year, or whatever, and yeah. then. Uh, um, but like when it really comes down to giving out presents, it's it's like uh, if if I, if I see something really cool that I know Tom likes or would like, you know, I'll get it for his birthday or something like that. It's really loose, you yeah. know. So uh, um, you know, that's that's about how we deal with it. How how long have you guys? How long has it been now that you guys have been together? Um, we had our 40th, I think Toys in the Attic came out 40 years ago. So, uh, we've been together probably 42 or 43 years. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And how does a, how do you guys stay together? Like, to me, it's a wonder that any band ever stays together because ultimately like it's hard enough to have a two person relationship, but to have like a many person relationship (laughs) where everyone's got to have. You know, because ultimately, I assume, uh, you know, you all have to have similar goals and want to work to make a similar thing over time. And like, how does right. it? How does it? How does it sustain that long? Thanks. Well, you know, it's it's. I guess it's because you know, like when we first got together. I mean, we we it wasn't like we were a bunch of high school friends that that you know all kind of got together and had a band as well and that kind of thing. I mean, we kind of, uh, except for Tom and I, who were friends uh, and met really when we were young, and uh, uh, I mean, we we kind of picked, picked the guys we wanted in the band for their musical skills and, that, and all that. And also for the... For we all love rock and roll, and we all wanted to, to, to get on stage and play, you know? Um... And uh, nobody ever thought that, you know, it would be um, a, a career like this, like with, you know, a, a, with uh, um, in parentheses, you know what I mean, or, or whatever. I mean, it, it was like, let's see if we can get to the next week and pay the rent. Let's see if we can get through the next month and uh, put food on the table and maybe we'll get a record deal, we'll see, you know. But mainly it was just like keeping the calendar full with gigs, you know. And, uh, hey, uh, one year turned into the next and then we managed to get uh, um, get some people around us to support us and help and, uh, and then we got a manager and then we got a manager who helped us find some managers in New York and... Just one thing after another, you know, day by day. And the main thing is, is we love to play live. We love to get on stage and play. And no matter what's gone on, except for the time I left the band for four or five years when uh, we really needed to take a break, uh, I needed to take a break and uh, kind of uh, settle a few things in my own, in my personal life and uh, just really let the band decompress uh, aside from that, I mean, it was the the feeling is the same. Getting on stage and playing, you know, and hearing the audience cheer when we play some of those old songs and some of the new songs, and it's uh, it's really been the the thing that's held it together. It's been the fans and uh, and that that original feeling of like, you know, wow, getting on stage, and uh, you know what, we might be able to do it better tomorrow. 
and that's the thing that that hooks us in. So you know, no matter what goes on, you know, we, maybe we can play the show better tomorrow. Maybe we can make a better record. And forty-two years later, here we are. You know, I mean, it's like you know, back then, man, it was not a career that you picked for longevity. That's for sure. You know, I mean, uh, I think what was it, seventy-one or seventy, and uh, like Jimmy died, and and. Uh, uh, Jim Morrison and uh, Janis Joplin, and and we would see bands come and go. Bands that were, I mean, really good bands that had had, uh, you know, everything. Uh, you know, songs on the radio, hit records, and all that. And then they'd disappear, you know, for one reason or another. You know, uh, so um, it really wasn't something that uh, you look down the road and go, well, we'll be doing this in 10 years. You know, I mean, uh, so no. I mean, uh, nobody nobody figured it was going to last like this. How much of those, those bands kind of coming and going, how much of that do you think was just, oh, you know, mu- general musical tastes have changed? And how much was it, oh, these people had a lot of personal issues? Like, have you ever, I'm sure you've met people before, you're like, wow, you're really talented. How come you're not you know, like further along and then you realize they have like serious personal issues that got in the way that prevented them from focusing and getting them to the next level. Like, do, do you, have you, did you notice any sort of a disparity or connection between those two things? Um, I, you know, I've seen, I think we've all seen it happen. I mean, uh, at the, probably one of the biggest, biggest, uh, examples of that, uh, would be guns and roses. I mean, these guys were, they were primed, to be, you know, huge. And they could have been, uh, you know, one of the biggest bands even today if they had kept their, kept things t- together. And uh, obviously there were personal issues that, j- that they just couldn't uh, deal with. I'm good friends with Slash. And, uh, you know, and I don't think that he that they could figure out what was going on with Axel, you know what I mean? And, uh, um, I mean, they went right from, I mean, we saw them. I mean, they opened for us that summer when uh, they went from being, like, basically a, a club band, uh, you know, kind of a, a so-called baby band. I mean, when they walked on stage, even even then, you knew they, they had it and they could do it, you know what I mean? They, they'd go out there and they they... they were great. They had a great first record, and and uh, um, by the time the tour was over, they were like they were steamrolling, and they were crushing it. And uh, um, you know, and then they had that year or two when they were you know filling every stadium in the in the world, literally. And then uh, it then it just fell apart after that after the the uh, that double album they did, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I don't know, you know, um, you know, Axel still goes out and plays, you know, with a band called Guns N' Roses, and uh, he does great in, uh, you know, wherever they play, you know, as far as drawing, drawing an audience, but uh, it's not that band that right. everybody wants, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know if, uh, if, if, I don't know if they could ever, at least talking to Slash, I don't know if they could get it back together. I really don't, you know. I'd like them to because I think they're a great band. I think they're they're you know uh, one in a million. But uh, you know it's just uh, that personality thing. And and this I could go down the list. You know uh, 
but that's probably the one that, that you know everybody has seen. You know, all the fans of, of you know Guns and Roses, you know, are scratching their heads, going, "Well, why can't they just go back in the studio and do another record and <laughs> go back on the road? They don't even have to talk to each other." You know, I mean, there's uh, there's there's a lot of bands that that uh, have stayed together or they get they don't have anything to do with each other like the police when they're not uh, <laughs> like a one hey, tour you name them man yeah. you the, the list goes on i mean the eagles i don't think uh from what i understand they don't talk to each other you know what i mean um when they're not on stage uh, or they they deal with each other when they when they need to talk about some business or whatever and then they they're you know, to go their separate ways, but they managed to, to uh, at least get on stage and, and play and, and do tours and uh, um, whatever. But it, it's really a tough thing. I mean, it's way beyond just having a good song and being able to play good live and uh, get, having your songs on the radio or, or back in the VH1 uh, MTV days, you know, having a good video and all that. I mean, it takes a lot more than that. Because you got to be kind of growing, you know. I mean, your your personal life. Um, you go from being a teenager with no responsibility, no fa- no family, no no uh, kids to worry about, none of that. And then you then you get you know have a girlfriend, or you know you get married, then the kids come along. So you kind of have to balance that that um, that personal life with the demands of, of what it takes to be in a rock band, which is really tough. And yeah. again, if you, it's, it's easy when you, when you're a teenager and you don't mind all piling in a van or all on a, on a tour bus and all that stuff. And it's like, uh, you know, as you get older, it's, um, it's, it's really getting that, finding that balance of, uh, how are you going to deal with that? Cause this guy wants to have girlfriends. This guy wants to hang around with the groupies. This guy wants to have a wife and kids, and uh, he's going to bring them on the road, and, like me. And uh, uh, this is like, well, okay, well, I'm kind of like the odd man out then because, you know, what if what if my wife says something to this one's girlfriend or this one's wife? <laughs> and it's like, and, you know, it's like kind of like you have to, talk those things out and you know or you know just just deal with it you know i mean there are ways to i bought a tour bus basically and uh and and just brought brought the family the dog the tutor because we homeschooled the kids and uh and i just basically hung out with the band when we were at the shows and then uh, take off on the bus Oh, that's fun though. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was did it, great. Didn't it, it never felt too claustrophobic. You like you. Ah, I love it. Are you kidding? I love touring on the bus. It's it's like you can come and go as you please. I, I mean, I've seen things that I would never get a chance to see if I had traveled with the band. Um, um, uh, you know, like Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico. You know, I mean, I'm really <laughs> into that kind of stuff. Into into the whole UFO and all that stuff. I'm talking about. Joe Rogan and all that. I yeah. mean, I love all that stuff. And uh, my wife, my wife and I are, are. I mean, and that was one of our first hobbies that we did when we got together was go out and find all the all these tapes that you could get the VH1 tapes or VH. 
VHS tapes and uh, of, of people, you know, people have taken of, of UFOs. And so, you know, what Roswell is one of those places that's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's not really on the way to anywhere. No. You know what I mean? It's not a destination, and it's not... <laughs> You know, on the way to a destination, you kind of, I mean, it literally took us eight hours out of our way. Yeah, I did the, I had the same exact experience where I went, was driving across country. And I was like, oh, let's just dip down to Roswell. Right. But I was kind of disappointed with Roswell because what? it was so many, like, uh, I, maybe I needed to spend more time there. But what I saw was basically a bunch of storefronts that had just been converted into, like, quote-unquote museums with, like, weird rubber alien dolls <laughs> yeah. and nothing really of substance that, yeah. like, oh, I really wanted to see something that I hadn't seen on the internet, yeah. you know? And then and they're all the official ones. Right. You know yeah, what every I mean? single one. Yeah. And, I don't know. We went into one that, that seemed like, well, it had all the stuff on the wall that was like printed out you know like uh, like the newspapers and and uh recordings of of whatever you know radio recordings that they had saved and then they had you know that was on one side and then on the other side you probably went in there you know what i mean because there's only there's three or four of them right. and and, the, and then they the other side is like you know all the coffee mugs with the with the aliens on them <laughs> and then the, then the bits and pieces of whatever they have and um, if you actually go to the place where it happened, it's just a piece of dried dirt. You know what I right. mean? It's like, you know, a couple of hundred uh, square yards of, of, you know, a little scrub brush where supposedly it happened. So um, it's uh, um, it really is kind of a letdown. But, hey, if you're into that stuff... At least you can say you went to Roswell and you got the T-shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. I bought so many different Roswell T-shirts. I'm like, well, I need this one. I need this alien. I need this alien. I mean, it totally. Yeah. Like, I it worked. For I, yeah. I totally bought into it, even though I didn't actually. Have you seen anything? Have you seen anything? I, I have never. Uh, you know, I mean, a couple of times we could have talked ourselves. Uh, we had a place uh, up in uh, New Hampshire, uh, out on the lake in uh, uh, Lake Sunapee, where the band met and everything. And we go out and, and uh, especially in, in, I think it's August. They, there's usually the, uh, a lot of meteor showers, you know. And uh, we'll go out and, and sit out on, on the boat and watch because the, the stars are amazing up there. And uh, and watch watch for meteors, and every once in a while you'll see something, and it's not moving the way it should, and you can convince yourself that, you know, hey, a UFO is, is basically an unidentified flying object. So there's a lot of things that qualify for that. It doesn't mean it's a spaceship. Right. It's just unidentified. You know what I mean? So you could you could, like I said, you could you could convince yourself that it's something, but I I really haven't seen anything i've talked to a lot of pilots and they now haven't seen anything so no i haven't but i gotta believe that they're out there you know um the extraterrestrial they have another name for them now you know but uh uh no i haven't seen anything like that or what? anything that would you know i could say yep, that's it i've been there i've seen it what do you think roswell was hey you know um it's tough, man, because uh, there's enough enough noise and enough uh, interviews about people that that say that they've seen things, and uh, there's that whole area 51 that's really uh, 
it really is a mystery. There's the plane that flies out of Vegas every day, packed with people. They go out to work, <laughs> and they work where the government says there is there is nothing there, you know. Um, but on on the other hand, until I really see something, you know, I really can't say yes or no. But I'm certainly willing to to to. Uh, my, I got an open mind. That's about it. You're skeptical but hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good place yeah. to be. You know, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Bigfoot or I mean, some of the. Uh, I mean, just think about the ocean, how big it is, how deep it is. And, I mean, there's got to be stuff in there that we haven't seen Oh, of yet. course. So, you know, uh, so we're, we're very open-minded about that stuff. But I really like, um, uh, we like to, to check out what the latest uh, videos are and, and, and all that stuff. But um, who knows, you know. So before we were talking about, you said, oh, it's kind of hard. These guys get in a band, and then all of a sudden these, like, you know, these interpersonal politics crop up. And it's sort of funny that rock music basically is, you know, you're young, you're a teenager, it's sort of it's a rebellious form of art. And then yeah. all of a sudden, it, with any degree of success comes a great degree of responsibility, which is kind of antithetical to the whole spirit of why you started in the, or why most people, I would imagine, start in the first place. Right. They're rebelling, they're getting stuff out, it's sort of a fuck you to everything, and then... Now it's like, oh, now you have to. Now you have a business manager, and now you have to worry about tour buses, and you have to worry about personal politics, and where are the roadies, and where's this, and organizing this, and make sure we're here. And you know, it's like I, I guess that alone would be enough to <laughs> to knock someone over. Well, it depends on how how political you want to get. I think you know how, how much you want to bend, and um, I kind of look at it like. Um, well, you know, like when we got together, I mean, the the the, the rebellious part of it, and the uh, uh, the 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 fuck you, and the the uh, don't trust anyone over thirty was a lot bigger deal in 1968 than it was than it is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not any big deal to see somebody walk down the street with a with a guitar in their you know guitar case. Back then, it was almost like a symbol of saying, I mean, you were giving the rest of the world the finger. You know what I mean? Rock and roll was such a... uh, We talk about it being the soundtrack of our lives. You know, we get whatever song it was that in certain certain times of our, you know, our first kiss, the first whatever, um, uh, important things in your life, and, and, you know, whatever song it is... um, but back in the '60s, in the in the '70s, uh, the, the, it was pretty heavy. I mean, the, the what was going on, um, uh, social, the whole social thing was was just. I mean, it was it was rebellion. I mean, uh, it, it started in the you know with all the assassinations, and then then all the all the uh, the the. Um, uh, anti-segregation marches and, and the, the 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 Vietnam War. I mean, it was a it was a lot heavier. I mean, it was a, a lot more life and death. I mean, uh, uh, it was critical. I mean, if you didn't go to college and you lost your deferment after you got out of high school, if you had a low number, there was a good chance you were going to get drafted and go to Vietnam and and have to go to war. And we knew you know, some of our friends that, you know, I knew I had friends that, that never came back, you know, and the ones that did never came back and, and they never, I mean, came back and they weren't the same, 
You know, I mean, it, it, it's not like uh, um, like it is now. I mean, uh, with uh, I mean, certainly we have the wars that, that you know that are fought in, in some of these places. Where we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't might agree with the politics, but uh, you know, th- th- these guys go over and they 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 give it up. You know, and my hats off to them. You know, uh, but I'll tell you, back then um, it was really tough. And uh, and picking up a guitar and going out there and trying to make music, um, that was that music was was part of the whole scene. I mean, you'd have Abby Hoffman up there between between Jimi Hendrix and uh, Joan Baez, and he'd be up there like screaming about about rebellion and changing changing society. And it was a it was a really different time, you know. And I think that. As far as the book goes, I think the, the one thing that I, I wished I'd I'd put a little more emphasis on was was that part of that that era, and that's the big difference between then and now. I think uh, as far as choosing music or choosing rock and roll to you know put a band together and and uh, going that way, it, it's a really tough business, but. You know, at least you know that there's that. The, hey, if you get if you get if you're good, if you have a, have a, a shot, you know. I mean, there's there's a there's, you can have a career, you know. But um, uh, back then, it was it was a lot more uh, uh, iffy, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, so it was uh, definitely a, 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 a more interesting time and. Uh, I just want to. I, 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 sh- I should have put a little bit more of that in there, just because of the backdrop. Because it just wasn't us that was like partying and doing all that stuff. I mean, it was pretty much that for for young ki- young young p- kids and college kids. I mean, I mean, the partying was uh, I think a bit more intense than it is now. Oh, you, really? You know, I I have to say, I mean. I mean, when people, uh, you know, the government was, I mean, throwing people in jail for life for pot. Come on, we've really come a long way. I yeah. mean, I, there there are p- people in jail now for pot, you know, that from then. I mean, oh, it, it's ridiculous, you know. Um, uh, so uh, it was it was a different time, man, you know. But if if the if so much of it came out of this sort of socio political rebellion and these statements in the sixties, then in the seventies, did it sort of devolve into, you know, just uh, glam times and you know just what partying and all that? Like, what was it? What did it feel like to be in a rock band in the seventies? Was that, how how was that a unique experience? Well, all I had to do was wave a bottle of Jack Daniels on stage. And it would be an instant roar from the crowd. <laughs> so uh, it was part of the th- part of the thing, man. I mean, it was all part of the the uh, uh, part of the scene, you know. Um, and it was, uh, it, it, and you know, like Studio Fifty Four and these guys, you know. Uh, the, it, it was it was a it was there, the music was a was a big party scene. It was kind of the fallout from the sixties. The government was saying. Look, you know, uh, pot is bad for you. It, you know, you won't be able to get a heart on if you smoke pot. Uh, <laughs> you'll never have kids if you if you take LSD. And we all knew that was bullshit. So it was probably the biggest disservice they could do because 
your tendency is to go, well, if they say that about this, well, then everything else they say has got to be bullshit. Right. So why not try heroin? You know what I mean? And uh, so it was. Uh, there, there was that whole thing about, you know, like not trusting what the, the government said and, and uh, having to learn the hard way for a lot of things. And uh, and I think that's what the 70s was about, was, was uh, figuring it out. I mean, there's... Uh, the you know the hippies were were uh, they had their their like uh, um, a set of uh, this this new way we're going to live and the communes and all that stuff and um, the guys some of the some of the people I know that that uh, went off to off to the boondocks to have to live in a commune they're like the selectmen now. Mm-hmm. You know they're the they're the uh, the doctors they're the, the the you know and they've got you know their hair's a little longer you know than than you would think uh, I mean it doesn't look out of place you know what I mean uh, they're still wearing ties but uh, you know they they realized that, that there were a lot of things a lot of holes in there in in that uh, philosophy and and they had to you know go on to make a living and uh um but boy it was uh it was a it was a wild time you know <laughs> were there some were, like at that time were you did you sort of manage like oh this type of substance will produce this kind of show or don't do this before you go on stage because it's hard to play or does it was it just sort of like hey whatever well you kind of eased into it you know what i mean because it, i mean at the beginning it was like you might have a couple of beers before you go on. You might not. It didn't wasn't wasn't critical. And then as time went on, uh, you know, I mean, uh, a couple of beers didn't do it. Then it, then it got a little heavier, and and it was. Uh, um, then you'd realize, you know, you. Well, for myself, I mean, I realized that that I, you know, there was a kind of a line I couldn't cross, or else I wouldn't be able to put on as good a show as possible. And I think near the end of my time in the '70s with Aerosmith is when I crossed that line a few times, and I knew that we weren't putting on the shows that we could have, you know. And and I don't think that uh, I think it affected our uh, our uh, ability to write. The, you know, as good as songs as we were able to, and uh, there were a lot of things that that came with it by by crossing that line, and uh, um, we weren't able to to reconcile some of the some of the personal stuff with the with the the normal tension that comes with the band. I mean, you got five different guys with five different ideas about how to play this song and how to entertain the audience and you know you got to have that because that's what gives it the energy you know it's the five five people equals about 15 you know when you're in a rock band because that's the that's that's what it's about i mean it's that magic of of like uh, having two or three like really strong strong talented people supported by some other guys that are just as talented and uh um uh, and making music and entertaining a crowd and uh um and I, and that still holds to, holds the band together now i mean no matter what goes on between uh, me and me and uh the singer 
Um, uh, uh, Is it Scott or Steve? Steve, right? <laughs> you know, no matter. I mean, he's still like way deep down. We have a, a, a relationship that has nothing to do with music. You know, I mean, he's like a brother I never had, and uh, you know, I mean, we have our ups and downs on that end. But when it comes to the music, we get in the studio and we'll butt heads, but. It, that's what gives it the energy, you know. I mean, and uh, um, I wouldn't want that sh- to change, you know what I mean? If we agreed over everything, it would be pretty boring, you know. Are you a good problem solver? Like when you, when you do, because sometimes, especially when it comes to, you know, like if you're really dead set on it must be creatively expressed this way, this thing we're making, and the other person goes, no, it's got to be this way. Are you a compromiser, or do you just go, uh, "Hey, fuck you," and then let's not do this at all unless we're doing my like? How do you? How do you? It depends on on what it, what it's about, you know. It's really, it, it it depends on what you're arguing about, and sometimes you gotta uh, you fight the big battles, uh, and the other ones you, you might compromise a little bit. You know what I mean? To to uh, because you know it, it may not he may not be wrong. You know what I mean, and I might be off base. You know, so you know, I'm always willing to listen. You know, and it works the other way. So um, it's it's really about what you know what what it is we're talking about. You know, I mean, uh, uh, whether it's lyrics or or uh, uh, um, you know or the kind of song you want to put on it, uh, put on the record. Um, the, how many ballads do you want to put on the record? You know, and then, you know, there's comp- so you got to have some compromise in there, um, or else you, you you end up with out of band. <laughs> <laughs> Was there is you there know? a specific example of something where you? You guys sort of came together, and then it turned out, oh, actually, yeah, this compromise was much better than our individual ideas, and then that yielded this hit song. Well, yeah, well, uh, a really easy one would be Dream On. I mean, he played that that song a lot, I mean, uh, when the band was getting together, and he had it from, from he had the, the basic, basic idea on the piano uh, from before, he was in our in, in Aerosmith, and uh, um, and I just felt like like ballads. I mean, the whole thing is about energy. Rock and roll to me is about energy and and uh, just letting it fly. And uh, and uh, by by working the guitars into it and and making it uh, more of a have have like a rock feel to it, even though it still retains some of the the. Uh, 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 musically, some of the sensitivity around the lyrics. Um, it, it that that's a that was a, uh, an example of a compromise that that act, that turned it into a a song. So it sounded like Aerosmith, but it was still a ballad. Mm-hmm. And it it by playing it live, it, it developed into into a real showstopper. And it changed my mind about ballads over the years. And uh, um, and how powerful they could be in a live arena, you yeah. know, um, rhetorically and physically. But also, like, in the body of a whole rock show, it is kind of nice to have bam, 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 and then a little bit of a, yeah. a, little bit of a break from the tension, you know, something emotional, right. and then, like, back up in, then you can pick it back up with something else energetic after that. Right, and, you know, that's something, that's another 
thing you learn as far as dynamics because it's almost like like having a, a a set you know writing up a set is almost like writing a song because you want you even writing a song um you want to have some dynamics in it so you have a place to go you know mm-hmm. and then it, it it comes back and then you it come then then uh, after you know it may mellow out for for a minute and then it comes back with a bang and so it's almost the same thing when you write a set list you you kind of you uh, start off with with some high energy and then you kind of bring it back a little bit and and then uh, um, kind of uh, get get kind of a, a, a like a, a medium place and play some things that people you know they're going to like and maybe even sit down and, and listen to and then. You come back and and uh, with everything you got, so uh, it's it's about dynamics, and that's something you, you you figure out as you go out there. It isn't about just going out there and hitting people over the heads, you know, and playing as loud as you can for twenty minutes, you know. What did you? Is, do you talk in the book about why you took a break and then coming back and all? Do you talk about oh, yeah. that stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah, I talk, uh, and that's something again. That's something that really hasn't been out there much um you know what i did during that time because i was like i mean i just wanted to get out and play i I didn't want to have any any of the big stuff all that stuff you were talking about like the the managers the all, all that 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 list of bullshit that we have to run you know kind of kind of deal with to to keep the machine running you know i didn't want to have to deal with that and uh you know i just wanted to get on on uh on stage with with some other guys that wanted to have a good time and play rock and roll and that's what we did uh i did that for the better part of uh like four years and then uh um then uh, just some personal there was some personal things that finally were uh i i reconciled and and uh and i met my wife my, my wife that was was still together and going on 30 years and, wow uh, and uh you know it just was a uh um i wanted to uh to change it up a little bit and uh, by then a lot of the the i realized a lot of the stuff that we were that, that caused the band or caused at least um, made it untenable for me to stay in Aerosmith. A lot of that stuff had changed. A lot of it, uh, I realized, was a bunch of bunch of bullshit. And uh, you know, and and I think we all kind of came to that conclusion. So after the dust settled, and we all started talking about possibly coming back together. That's what we. That's what happened, and that's. I get into that in the book, and because a lot, of, a lot of things have been talked about, and a lot of stuff gets misconstrued in the press, and and I just wanted to to get it down on paper, because you know what, in two generations, my grandkids' grandkids are gonna wonder who that guy was that had long hair, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, made this kind of music. Uh, who knows what what they're gonna be listening to. And uh, it's documented now. Well, what's the most common misconception? Like, what it, what is it that you hear in the press where you go, "That's not, God damn it!" Like, what do well, you- they're just it, sometimes. Well, there's a lot of little things, um, uh, but probably one of the the things that was uh, 
never really talked about was our our how after after the band got together and we got sober and uh, um, the, the manager that, that that helped us at, at the beginning. Actually, he was he was my manager before the band got back together, and um, he really really helped. He was like almost like a, uh, I mean, he, he really supported us in uh, in uh, changing the way we we did business and and uh, and and cleaned up and and you know it's it's obvious. I mean, permanent vacation uh, was the first record we did when we were clean and it was it was over the top and uh it that that was just the start of it and it it was great but then um as as usual things started to go south working with the guy and near the end we had to had to get rid of him i mean he just it just didn't work out and uh none of that stuff was ever ever talked about people didn't know what was going on behind the scenes and i thought that that um, a lot of a lot of uh, and that plays into a lot of the other things that uh, that we again you you brought up about you know how do you how do you with all the the other stuff that goes with it you know how do you balance it and reconcile it and still try and hold on to some of that rebellion and some of that that rock and roll spirit and um, I try to kind of analyze some of that and uh, explain it and in the book. Um, how how we managed to do that and, and hold on to some of our our uh, you know that real gut rock and roll thing and uh, and still be commercial um, and uh, you know sometimes you get into battles with uh, with the businessmen and dealing with that but uh, it's really about um, deciding you know um, I mean the music business changed and. Uh, the 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 uh, the audience their tastes in, in music kind of kind of shifted a little bit you know and uh, but we were able to I think uh, keep our our uh, I mean I feel pretty good about eighty percent of the stuff we did overall um, there were a couple of a couple of things in there that um, I just I know that that uh, we shouldn't have done and uh, um. What do you think you shouldn't I have just done? Did it. Well, not just not, just, not I guess shouldn't have done isn't the right way to put it, but I think that, that like uh, the album done with mirrors. Uh, I know a lot of hardcore fans will argue with me about it, but um, I don't think it's it was up to the standard that we could have uh, come out with. But if we hadn't have done that record, we we never would have gotten to permanent vacation, right? And uh, so we had to go through that, and uh, we kind of uh, wrote that record and recorded it the way we used to, uh, like say in the late seventies, which was uh, um, <laughs> we had to alter our consciousness quite a bit to, to get <laughs> to get going in the studio, and uh, so the record turned out that way, and I but. Like I said, it had to. It felt to me like the the record was kind of unfinished, you know. And uh, um, uh, fortunately, you know, Geffen, the re- the record company we were on, you know, had faith in us, and uh, we were we were willing to try some some changes. And permanent vacation came out of it. Did you get? Did you guys? Did you? You kind of 
suggested that you, did you get sober as a group? Like together you guys all got sober? Or you just individually got sober and then came back together? Well, we were together. We were working working as a band and we actually toured uh, without, without even a, uh, having a new record out. Um, just based on, I mean, we really wanted to see how it would work, you know, uh, just playing together. I mean, we were still trying to control it, you know, the party thing. Um, and it, it was it took an awful lot of energy trying to do that. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, only drinking on weekends for us <laughs> just doesn't work. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, we went out and we found that, 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 that our... That our uh, the fans were still out there, and we were able to, to tour without the record. Uh, but um, um, uh, at least it gave the the, the uh, record companies faith in us again, because uh, we couldn't even get a record deal at that point. And so we went out and toured, basically did did the whole tour without without any uh, uh, trip ups and. Uh, and Geffen signed us. So, uh, uh, and the first record, did you know, done with mirrors, didn't do what we wanted it to do, and uh, but we found out we found that we could we could live with with each other and and tour and uh, and uh, but we knew we had to make some changes, which we did with the help of, of that manager, and uh, on to the next, which was. Permanent vacation. Well, it's hard to dispel that myth too. That uh, you know, especially if you're when you're younger, you're like, oh, maybe I have to be fucked up in order to be creative or in order to do yeah. this. And, and it's I, you know, it, I know, you know, when I quit drinking, I was really worried. Like, oh, maybe I won't be as funny or I won't be as this. Maybe that was the thing. And it is. You do go out on a limb a little bit, but then you realize, like, oh. No, no, no. I actually need more focus now. Like I couldn't I was not focused before. Like now it's actually better because I can I can think and plan and Well, you got the one thing that that, that got got me, you know, what my my uh you know, the, the light bulb that went off in my head was, hey, when I first heard rock and roll, I wasn't fucked up. You know, when I when I when I got the goosebumps when I heard the first uh you know, or uh, saw saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, or uh, went to the first rock show that I went to. I wasn't fucked up. I was totally sober, and I was I was totally entranced. So that was it. That's all it took was uh you know to 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 have that realization and bang. And then I realized you know then then we had to deal with the with the fact that you know. We're America's party band. I mean, I always considered us um, like everybody, you know, America's hometown band, mm-hmm. garage band, you know. And uh, part of that was the partying. And uh, we were afraid that, you know, well, we're going to lose fans. People won't think, well, you know, we have the, the, the stuff anymore. And it came down to like, well, look, either we're going to give them, you know, the best music we can we can we can give them um, sober or they can watch us die you know <laughs> yeah and uh, you know we can be making music from six feet under and uh, that don't happen and right so uh, uh, but it, it, it the, the music pulled through and pulled us through and the fans were there to support us and 
and it was all about the music, and it, it helped helped us get through it, and we were able to put on better shows. And just like you said, you know, you kind of uh, you, you clearer you that talent that you have is able to 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 come through it, it, because basically that shit, you know, after a while. I mean, it may work a little bit in the beginning, but it, you know, after a while, man, it's like it really is. It's like shoveling dirt on your talent. It's a bad long-term plan. Yeah, it's a very bad long-term oh, plan yeah. for any kind of sustained success. But I think the first time um, I really, really understood who you guys were, I was I was sort of the right age, um, but it was uh, the Run DMC collaboration because I was like high school age. MTV was just like in the sweet spot of MTV and they played the fuck out of that video. Right. And, uh, and of course, you know, and at first I was like, Oh, how, who's this band that then, then realized like, Oh, you guys had a whole history and it wouldn't. And like that, Oh, that was there. Oh, that song was Aerosmith. And it like, it, I connected all these dots. Right. Well, I'll tell you that it fascinated me that some people thought that was one of our first records. (laughs) <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea that we were, you know, a band, you know, that, that did what we did in the seventies, and uh, um, it was really amazing. I mean, and and I, you know, and we were we were cruising along. I mean, we, we, like I said, we had uh, had the the uh, we were on Geffen, and we were uh, I don't know if we, I think permanent vacation was out by then, and uh, so we were we were. Going along fine, and uh, we did this the Run DMC thing, which was totally amazing, and uh, uh, it it had a big impact here. But you know, we really don't pay much attention to the to the charts and all that. I mean, we're really concerned about the the live show. But when we went to Europe, and they were, and that's when we really got the impact, and it was like you know, a, a lot of people really th- thought that it was the first. Like the first record, the first thing, and it was like, you know, because um, uh, we weren't huge over in, in Europe at that point. You know, we had only played over there twice, I think. Uh, oh wow! So uh, I mean, we were just we were kind of like in the in the theater kind of level mm-hmm. at that point, and uh, um, you know, and we would play some festivals, but it, we really weren't as big there as we are now. Because we've gone back, you know, many, many times since then, and, and you know, built up our our following there. But uh, yeah, when we hit Europe and we found out what an impact it made there, it, that's when it really struck us, you know. But we were really proud of the of the fact that uh, we were part of that um, of the getting the, that that video played on MTV because. I think it was one of the first, if if not the first, uh, video that. It had black artists on playing uh, hip hop, you know, and it was uh, it was a, a major thing, you know, because MTV was was really just starting and trying to figure out, you know, what their audience was and how to, you know, how to how to what videos to put on and that kind of thing. And uh, um, anyway, it was great to be part of that. Did when you when you played when you played Walk This Way, did people want? Did, were they? Would you play the original version? Did people want to be like, no, do the, like, did they want the the, the record scratchy? No, nah, there was not not at all. All they were, I I never got any any like vibe that you know it wasn't like the Run DMC version and uh, and 
there's been I, I don't know count on, on two hands the times when uh, when the guys have come out and played with us you know and, yeah. and, and uh, played this played uh, played the song and, and we've done it you know and jammed and uh, I remember one time we we played at one of their shows Steven and I went in and uh, and you know played and sat in with them on the song so uh, you know it was it was really good. It was a really good thing all all down the line. We made some new friends and uh, um, uh, some really, really talented people. Got a chance to work with Rick Rubin, and uh, um, well, it was all great. That's pretty amazing that, you, you know, you... Because obviously you hit a zone in the 70s, and then there was a dip, and then in the mid-80s, you hit another zone. Like, people don't always get... A couple of zones, you know, like it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable that, did you recognize that the second time ago? Okay, now guys, let's not fuck this up. Yeah, that's, and that, and again, that's, that's why I think we put up with, um, with that, that manager as long as we did, you know, and my, I, my wife was, was very intuitive and, uh, you know, she said, how come you're letting, letting this guy, you know, basically push you around because you know i was a arrogant fucking stubborn motherfucker when it came down to 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 business things and and you know what the the band stood for and and all that and uh and you know he he was throwing things in there and he started like getting into our private lives and it was like it was bullshit and uh but I, I, I sat there and, I, and she, she didn't know anything about Aerosmith before. You know, when when we met, I mean, it wasn't like I walked around with Aerosmith T-shirts on, you know, or had a big A on my forehead. You know, I, you know, it was like, I, I, you know, I had my own band and she didn't even know that it was my band. It was kind of like she thought it was like the Jay Giles band with a, you know, the guitar player. It was basically his band but the they had you know peter wolf was the front man right so you know i mean uh, even though the name of the band was jay giles you know it was really everybody like focused on 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 peter you know and uh so she and she knew she knew peter and she knew those guys and and, and with the in the boston scene and she kind of had traveled around you know going to college in some different places and uh and so she kind of missed missed Aerosmith in the you know um, uh, you know uh, she's probably closer to your age and um, um, so she so it just kind of missed in the in the you know so she really didn't know what what an Aerosmith was <laughs> you know she and the, it wasn't the kind of music she listened to she was more into alternative music and college music and that kind of thing and uh so when she when she first i i hired her for a video uh that i was doing for the for the project and uh uh that's when we met and she just thought wow that guy's pretty good on guitar i mean uh you know if he gets noticed you might have uh, a career, you know. And that was pretty much it. And uh, and uh, and she didn't know any of the songs, you know, any of the Aerosmith, any of you know, like "Walk This Way" or any of the any of the those seventies stuff. And uh, so she didn't know, you know, like what we had lost, you know, and what we had, you know, had we were starting to get back. 
and you know the the whole weird uh, paradigm that 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 was keep that that you know the band was was kind of forming and figuring out because we were trying to we were just learning how to keep it together mm-hmm. you know sober you know working with different people you know uh working with producers that uh that we hadn't worked with before and and uh and the music business had changed like you said i mean mtv was the, the golden years i mean all that stuff and uh um and i was like you know being as pragmatic as i am i was going well do we really want to, you know, uh, like fight with this guy and uh, um, and upset the, the the balance that we have? You know, I mean, Stephen and I are getting along okay. The band's getting along okay. Every time we put out a, a record, it does better than the last one. I mean, am I gonna like? Do I really want to like take a chance and and fuck it up? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. I had to kind of explain that to her because she didn't know what we had before until she really until she was like looking through some old boxes and saw some of the magazines like old cream magazines <laughs> and, uh, cream. or uh, what are the, some of the other rock rock scene and uh, some of the old you know the old rock mags that yeah. that that that, uh, that we were on and um, and then she came across a. Uh, um, a little plaque that we got from Madison Square Garden that said something like uh, over a hundred thousand tickets sold at you know uh, in twenty five shows or whatever you know Madison Square Garden twenty five times you know I mean that was like I mean if you never knew that before that's co- quite a uh, little trophy to have yeah you know and uh, then she realized, you know, just how how big it was. And then she started to do a little bit more homework. And this was before the Internet and stuff. Right. And uh, um, she started to find out how how big the band was back then. And because, uh, like I said, I didn't go around broadcasting it, you know. Right. Uh, though one time there was a, a, uh, a song playing on the radio. And I said, that's, that, that, that's the band I, I was in. And she said, no, it's not. You know, and uh, I was like at, at basically at the bottom. I, I mean, I had just gone through a really, really rough divorce. And uh, the first time I took her out to dinner, my credit card came back in two pieces. Oh, um, no. It was one of those. Uh, so, so she got me at a time when, uh, which I bless. You know, I'm just I was just blessed because uh, she didn't. You know. I didn't meet her after coming off stage in front of 50,000 people. You know what I mean? She just saw me playing in a, you know, in a, in a band in clubs and, uh, you know, in a van. And, uh, like I said, you know, she just thought that, uh, I might have some potential. Somebody (laughs) saw me, you know? So, uh, you know, it wasn't like, uh, I was like, you know, all the, the I didn't have to worry about you know. Well, she's after me for my money, or the or the glamour, or the rock starness, all that shit. You know. But it's not. Is it, it when when all that was you know before this relationship, like in the seventies, like was it was it really easy? Is it really easy to date if you're in a big band, or is it sort of like well, I mean, you can kind of hook up with people, but then you don't know who to trust, and it's weird, and people get weird. Like, it's not. Is it not as easy as I think people would assume that it is? Well, no, because you kind of can. I mean, literally, you, you, there's a 
a ba- this you know a short skirt room um, backstage <laughs> uh, after the show and uh, um, you know and I you know what I I never went back there I never because I'm just I'm just not I was never into that whole groupy thing or you know you know going down to the bar after the show and hanging out and and hooking up that kind of thing and uh, but. Uh, um, you know that's pretty much how uh you know bands do it and uh you know that are into that you know especially the english guys cuz you know back then again the, the the communication isn't the same i mean there's no skyping there's no you know there's no like i mean they they looked at it like we're in America, and no one's going to find out what I'm doing. And, you know, and you know they would have you know wives and kids, and they would be fucking everything that walked. Sure, you know what I mean. And uh, uh, you know, I mean in general, you know, I have to say, but uh, uh, you know, I mean there were certainly exceptions. But um, the point is, is it's uh, uh, yeah, if you were looking for the for the right girl that you wanted to have a relationship with, I would say it would be really really hard you know I mean because you don't know you really you just got to use your instincts and your best judgment you know um, but but um, but that's the same I think for any any profession with this you know like a high visibility a lot of money some you know a lot of glamour you know nice vacations nice cars all that whether you're a doctor uh a sports guy. I mean, you, you read about it all the time. I mean, you know, uh, um, so it's not it's not uh, um, uh, just a, a rock and roll thing. It's just that, that being an entertainer, it's more visible. It's like, you know, you end up in the gossip columns more and all that stuff. But, you know, uh, once in a while you read about some doctor that, uh, you know, that, <laughs> hooked up with the nurse and the nurse fucking ratted him out and, you know <laughs> and all that stuff so uh, you know it's not uh, it's not uh, I don't know endemic I'm not I don't, I'm not sure if that's the right word but it's not like uh, uh, something that just rock and rollers have to deal with but it's it is a tough thing you know I, I'm just really glad that I'm really lucky that that, uh, that I was in the place I was at I mean uh at that time when I, when we met. Well, that it's, it's interesting to say that you were that what could have been construed as a low point, you know. I mean, yeah. I assume the divorce and stuff was some of the personal stuff that you were talking about that and your, you know, your credit card gets declined and then it's <laughs> nice you can go, I was very lucky that I was in this place so that I could, you know, cuz otherwise it might not have worked out with this with this yeah. person. I mean, it definitely paid my dues. <laughs> <laughs> how did how was she when everything started blowing up again? Like was she like, "Oh, this is weird." Well, I think that she was she was, you know, obviously happy about it cuz we both wanted a family. She wanted a she wanted a family. I mean, we'd both been married before and had kids from previous marriages and we weren't you know we both learned a lot from the, from that we knew we weren't going to make the same mistake the mistakes and uh i mean uh, i mean we were we hung out together off and on for 6 months before we even went out to to dinner together maybe a couple of dates but that was it and uh um and we played it really slow and easy but uh um you know it was uh um she was she was like a little you know almost every kind of step was another kind of like shock 
You know what I mean? You know, when when things would happen like that and, uh, you know, something big would happen. And, um, uh, but, you know, like when I, like I said, you know, when this guy started going south, this manager, and, you know, when we knew, knew we had to get rid of him, and she, she, that was that was probably the toughest part because trying to explain to her, you know, what what the what we had before and how heavy it was and uh, you know what the the good side of it was and uh, I didn't want to take a chance on on screwing it up. Yeah. So are, is everything good now? I mean, obviously you have the book, uh, which by the way is called uh, "Rocks My Life In and Out of Aerosmith" by Joe Perry, and then Joe Perry's "Merry Christmas." Are things you like in general good now? Are you talking to the singer? <laughs> What's happening? Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, we have our ups and downs, but man, you know, we like I said, I th- he's he's like the brother I never had, you know, uh, um, and you know, we have our our. Uh, Sometimes we won't talk to each other for a month, and then there's other times we'll talk to each other every day, you know, uh, depending on what's going on. Uh, um, uh, we like to scuba dive, uh, so he's got a place in Maui. Sometimes and we, we play Maui uh, in Hawaii a lot, you know, when, when we're on the road. And uh, so we'll get a chance, we'll go dive. And, and uh, so there, there are other things, you know, where we get along. And... Uh, um, it's it's complicated, you know, no <laughs> doubt about it, you know. Um, but uh, um, yeah, everything's good, and everybody's doing well. And uh, you know, we're talking about touring next year, and uh, I'm not sure when we'll go in the studio again, but uh, but I know we plan on touring next year. So, how do you keep a song fresh on stage when you've played it? 10,000 times like when you're like okay let's do walk this way like are you are you excited each time or is there a place you go to sort of make it fresh again uh, the audience does that easy, it's easy I mean you want to play the first first line to walk this way the audience is on their feet and it's like I get this this adrenaline rush I'm already like you know stoned on on adrenaline oh that's good you know okay. from the from the show you know, there's there's that five minutes before the show. Stephen and I are like, you know, standing side by side, and, and uh, you know, um, and we can feel the, that that charge coming in. You know, that natural that vibe. You know, we hear the audience. You know, kind of you know, getting up and getting ready, and uh, and then uh, you know, when we play all these songs that we've played a ton of times. You play those, you know, we're playing them for the first time for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just something that, that, we, that we learned. Uh, one of the first things we learned when, uh, when the gen- generation changed, you know, because there was an era, and there is with, with almost every, every artist when they start, when their audience basically is the same age as they are, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's the if you're if you're lucky enough to keep it together and you have everything else and you know there's that shift and then then like uh, all of a sudden the kind of music you're playing may not be the, the the most popular thing that's going on right that at that minute you know and there's there's another generation of kids that are that are younger that are that want their their first band you know and then 
so like you're dealing with but then some of those those kids want to see what 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 this band was you know so that's when the audience starts to spread out demographically mm-hmm. and uh, um, and I remember in the 70s when when punk came out and then disco came out and that was like when it changed from we were like literally the same age as the kids in, in the audience and then it was like we were you know a couple of years older and the punks were younger and yeah. and disco was like you know the thing and uh you know well do we have to start playing disco music <laughs> you know what i mean no, i don't think so you know i mean uh actually the stones got away with it they did they did did a pretty good uh uh they had a couple of couple of records that that were you know that i used to hear in the discos that that uh Still, still sounded like the Stones, so yeah. they managed to to pull it off. But um, but it's it's not that far from from rock and roll, you know. Um, but uh, um, you know that that was the first shift, and that's when I, that when we realized that you know we got to stick to our guns and do what we do best, and not you know we're not going to like change. And all of a sudden, if there's uh, the the latest thing is uh, you know Alanis Morissette, what, what are we going to do with that? She's the biggest thing on the on the planet right now. How are we going to adapt to that? Well, you don't. You stick to you, you. You play your music and you play it for your fans and write the best songs you can that that you you know been been working on for years and and keep going. Except for hip hop, you did manage to squeeze into hip hop a little bit. Well, again, I think you know hip hop is like very close to to the blues to me. Yeah, you know what I mean and. Uh, I, I really identified the 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 um, the the chain of, of music, you know, from the you hear those songs from the '30s and the '40s, and the guys like just banging on the on the uh, on the guitars. You could just see them on the street corner, you know, like 25 years old, trying to enter, you know, have, fill the hat, you know, and they're singing about their lives. And what's the difference between that and? The guys on the you know on the corner with the boom boxes, just you know, just with the the basic music, and singing about and and rapping about life on the street. Mm-hmm. What's the difference, you know? And it's the same kind of the beat. I mean, it, it's catchy. I mean, it's, it makes you want to move. And uh, so I, I mean, I I just saw it as just another link in the chain, just like just like we've done. We're just taking what we learned before. Added a little bit to it, and and there's a whole batch of bands that learn from us, and you know, and if they're if they're really smart about it, they'll go back and learn what we learned, you know, and listen to the music from way back when, like we did. So as we're kind of wrapping up, uh, long term plans? How uh, like what do you see? Like, what do you want to do? Do you have, like, a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan? Or are you just sort of like, yeah, we'll just sort of take stuff as it comes and figure it out that way? Well, I don't think we've ever looked farther, farther ahead than um, six years, six months or ten, uh, to a year. I mean, ever. I mean, I remember having the calendar in the, in the apartment. And, you know, it was like, if we could keep the calendar... Like so, at least the weekends had gigs on. You know what I mean? We were happy, and uh, it's that that attitude has probably been uh, the way we've we've always carried it. You know, and uh, but like I said, like um, the managers, you know, like I'm sure they have more of a long term kind of thing, and 
Um, we'll probably have a meeting in the next in a couple of months and talk about some options, like when we want to go back on the road, when, where we want to play, that kind of thing, and see where the riots are. You know what I mean? We were supposed to play in Kiev this year. We had to we we had to blow it off because because uh, of all of because of the uh, the riots and mm-hmm. uh, the upheaval there and uh, um, so you know the world is is changing all the time and we'll uh, we'll keep our eye on that but uh, mainly we'll be we're a touring band so we're going to be back out and uh, I expect it will be sometime sometime next summer but uh, but we'll see when we get together and talk about it. That's cool, yeah. And ultimately, in the, in the the very first question that I asked you, I think one of the first questions, like, how do you keep a how do you keep a band together? It sounds like for you guys, it doesn't matter what the sort of ups and the downs are, and the when we're really popular or when we're less popular. Where it's just you keep going back to this idea of like we just like to play, and as long as you just like to make the thing, then all that other stuff is just sort of you know. That's just the landscape passing by really fast, you know, while you're kind of on that yeah. on that trip. Yeah, because I'll tell you, it seems like every year there's there 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 are more fans out there, whether they're to our music or, or um, uh, you know whoever's hip, you know, it it doesn't matter. They're just more fans, and uh, um, in a lot of ways, it's it's really. Good because bands that that uh, the really talented bands that like say ten percent of the audience of the of the the, the music fans say ten percent of them would would like that artist you know say thirty years ago that ten percent might have been a hundred thousand you know mm-hmm. and I don't know how, it's it's tough to have a career with, with you know like that and then but now that ten percent is maybe a million. You know what I mean, uh, or five hundred thousand. So, in a lot of ways, uh, there's room for more different kinds of, of of music, you know, to work. And uh, um, but then, on the other hand, you know, uh, you, you can't. I mean, the records. I don't. I think this is the first year where there hasn't been a record. Um, that sold over a hundred thousand, right? Which is really weird. Man. That's it's weird. Really weird. It's because uh, it used to be a big, big source of income, and it it helped it so you could get on the road. And because uh, you know you, you you do a record, it helps helps um, um, get fans to come to see you play, and then the fans come to see you play, and then they might go out and buy your record. So it were you know. It's kind of a, a circle that that that, uh, that that helps, but when uh, the way that the uh, the, um, the the kid the the, the the fans get their music now, it's almost like I mean they're paying for it. Some of them are, right? <laughs> um, but uh, it you know it's not the kind of income that we used to you know what, what we used to see back in the golden age, and that's why I think we're at kind of at the end of an era right now. I mean, it's like things things are really changing, you know. But it's the start of something new, and uh, we'll see how it goes because the fans still want to hear music, and there's art, great artists out there that want to want to play it. And in the middle, you got the music business, and somehow it'll adjust itself. Right. Well, Joe, it was really nice chatting with you. And 
your book, again, rocks my life in and out of Aerosmith. And Joe Perry's Merry Christmas, which you should get really soon because Christmas is like, it's, it's, I can't even believe it's, what is it, yeah. about a week away now? It's really close, man. Ah, oh, shit. So anyway, it's, it's like, you know, I, there's a few standards on there. People will recognize it's, we just did it for the fun of it. And um, it's actually gotten a pretty good reception. And I, I hope that it's the start of a tradition. I want to try it next year. I'll probably do another another two or three songs and add it to that. And uh, um, I'd like to keep doing it every year. So uh, we just got it started. And also it was a way to, to see how the new distributing music differently. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever done something like this, which was like basically put it online. You know what I mean? And then advertise it, and that's that's it, you know. Actually, the, we, we only printed those up just for kind of just to give away. And as it turns out, we're selling them, selling out on, on the CDs. So, hey. We'll have a Merry Christmas. Thanks. When you actually do get to calm down and say Merry <laughs> Christmas. And uh, congratulations. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for having cool. me, man. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. As we end the podcast. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.